Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, is now 69 years old. He truly is an amazing basketball player. 69. He's 7'2". I mean, he just towered over everybody back when he was playing basketball. We first met him, and his name was Ferdinand Louis Alcindor Jr. But when he began to be an athlete and play, he kind of figured out that though that was a good name, Ferdinand was never going to strike terror into the hearts of his opponents. So he started changing his name, and he went by Lou Alcindor. That's how we first got to know him, and he was a dominating college player. In the end, when he was 24 years old, he converted to Islam, and that's when he took the name Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. As I began studying about him, I learned that he really is a very shy man. Even though he is this superstar, he really is rather shy. He likes to be to himself. He's very well read, very literate. He's an author of a number of books. He speaks out anytime he sees prejudice or people harming someone else. Now, what we learned about him was that when he was a young man just starting to play, you wanted to be on his team. When he was in high school, his high school team won 71 games in a row. If you're playing with Lou Alcindor, you're winning. When he got out of high school and graduated high school, he went out to UCLA to the Bruins with their coach, John Wooden. And what a great time that was. They would win three national championships in a row. He would be named MVP three times in a row. No, they were so dominating. It turned out while he was there that his scoring average was 29 and a half points a game. That's his average scoring, 29 and a half points a game. His shooting percentage was 67%. But part of that was because he was so tall, dominating everyone, the dunk. Oh, he just could dunk on anyone and everyone. When he graduated, he was drafted number one and went to the Milwaukee Bucks. They were a new expansion team, but that expansion team was struggling, as all do, But with his help, within six years, they won the NBA championship. He was MVP. And so then he went out to the Los Angeles Lakers. He'd be with them another 14 years. And while he was there, they won five more NBA championships. And he was MVP five more times. No, he truly was just this dominating player that changed the game. Because you see, when he was in college... And his freshman year, when he started dunking, and no one could stop him. Well, the NCAA did what anyone would do. They changed the rules. If someone is so good they're going to dominate, just change the rules. And did you know that the dunk was outlawed in college basketball from 67 through the 76 season? For 10 years, you were not allowed to dunk in college basketball And it's really because Lou Alcindor had come along and he was so dominant. So when they changed the rule and he could no longer dunk, he went to to Coach Wooden and said, "This this is unfair, this is wrong. And Coach Wooden said, you're correct. It is unfair. And there's not a thing we can do about it. 
And I predict this will be a great blessing in your life. Because you're going to have to learn now how to shoot a hook shot. And so he went out and began learning how do you do a hook shot. He became known as the sky hook. He was so tall. And again, when he went up to make that shot, no one could defend it. And so he began honing that while he was in college and became so good at it that then when he graduated and went to the NBA, you could dunk again, but he could also shoot the hook shot. And he would go on to score 38,387 points more than any other player in NBA history. He's the all-time scoring leader. Coach Wooden was right. This isn't fair. And it's going to be a blessing. It was a game changer. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Game Changers. We have said that sport is a real part of who we are. Sport is a part of our culture, our society. And what we want to do each week is we said we would look at different athletes who, who were game changers, affected their sport. But then we said we always want to look at a biblical character who gives us an example of how we too can be used by God through our faith to be game changers in this world. And what I wanted to look at this morning was the idea that sometimes life isn't fair. And sometimes life is hard. And sometimes it hurts. And it is those moments that quite often are game-changing moments in our lives, but they are also the moments that allow us to be used by God to be game-changers in the world. I don't think there's any better example of this than, of course, looking at our Scripture lesson this morning in the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul certainly was a game changer. What we're reading about today is Paul's letter to the Romans. We believe he was in Corinth when he wrote this letter. He's at the end of his third missionary journey. For years, Paul has been traveling. He started off and went up to places like Ephesus, which we know is in modern-day Turkey, came over to Greece. He would go to Athens and to Corinth. He would have been traveling all around. And now he's at the end of this third journey he's on and he writes to the people in Rome because remember, Paul didn't start the church in Rome. He had never been to Rome. And so he's writing to people in Rome saying, I've been telling you for a long time I'm going to come see you. Well, it's finally going to happen. I'm coming to see you. First, I got to go by Jerusalem to drop off this offering and then I'll come by and see you on my way to Spain. Now, most scholars believed that Paul was going to try to expand where all he'd been from there in Asia Minor through Greece, now over to Italy, moving on to Spain, and then probably come down to North Africa and work his way back across North Africa and then all the way back to Jerusalem. The idea of helping to share the gospel literally all around the Mediterranean. That was the dream. But it would never happen. See, Paul had been working at collecting this offering. He knew that the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem was in trouble. It was being persecuted by many of the Pharisees. Financially, it was a difficult time. 
And because it was struggling, he thought, if I collect an offering right now from the Gentile Christian church, I can bring it to Jerusalem. And if I give them this offering from the Gentile Christian church, and it's accepted by the Jewish Christian church, it'll be a statement, we are one. We are one church in Christ. So he's collected this offering, and he then goes to Jerusalem. But when he gets there, there are the Jewish authorities who were after Paul. And there were even the Jewish Christians who didn't like Paul. And when he shows up and goes to the temple, false things are said, accusations are made, a fight breaks out, it turns into a riot, and they start to beat Paul to death. If it hadn't been for the Roman soldiers stepping in, Paul would have died that day. They rescued him, but the authorities charge him with a crime, so they put him into prison, and then the Roman authorities find out there's a secret plot to kill Paul, and so they whisk him away by night, and ultimately Paul will be put on a ship to go to Rome to be tried. On the trip to Rome, it'll be shipwrecked, Almost, they thought everybody was going to die. He manages to survive, and he finally shows up in Rome as a prisoner two years later. He would never make it to Spain. It wasn't fair, it wasn't right. People had lied about him, it was such a difficult time. But he found himself in a prison cell in Rome. And all of that would help him to be a game changer. Now, I believe that Paul's story is our story. We've all had those moments when, when life isn't fair. We've all had those moments when we've been hurt and life is hard. And yet I believe those moments can be game-changing moments in our life and be the very moments that I believe God is able to use for us to be game-changers in the world. I want us to look at Paul this morning, and I think there's three important things to see. First of all, I, I believe that it really does begin with our attitude towards life and God. Because it is quite understandable and easy to become very angry at God. How could you let this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? And we can become very bitter towards life. And when we become angry and bitter towards life and towards God, well, then you really can't see the opportunities that are before you. What I think is worth noticing about Paul is that Paul wanted to go to Spain. He had his great vision and plan, and he wound up in a prison cell in Rome. And you go read some of the letters that he wrote there. One of those is his letter to the Philippians, one of my favorite. And when you read the letter to the Philippians, you don't read about bitterness. You don't read about anger. What you read about is a man who is looking back and giving God thanks for where he has come from, thanking for the church that he loves, no, there is always this spirit of gratitude for love and support, a person of hope and peace. No, you, you read his letters, he doesn't give in to the bitterness and the anger that 
It would be so easy to do. Two months ago, you may have seen the news that Gene Wilder died. Gene Wilder, someone that I used to enjoy so much watching in the movies. He, he was such an actor, so good. Everything from Blazing Saddles to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory um, to Silver Streak. I mean, he was in so many different movies. What a great guy. He died at 83 because of complications from Alzheimer's. But as I saw when Gene Wilder died, it made me go back and think about his wife, Gilda Radner. Now, many of you will not even remember Gilda Radner. She passed away 27 years ago. She was 42. It turned out that Gilda Radner was on the original cast of Saturday Night Live. Original cast of Saturday Night Live, won an Emmy. She was in all kinds of movies with Gene. She was on Broadway. She was at the peak of her career in her 30s, and she developed ovarian cancer. They found it, they operated, they began treatment. This was back in the 1980s. And in the end, it didn't work. For a while they thought it did, but then it came back. And after a while, it was obvious Gilda Radner was going to die. But it was amazing, as she began to move forward, she was still in such an amazing spirit. She didn't deny what was happening, but she wanted to live fully all the time she had. So she still laughed, she still teased, she had a joke for everyone, she still was out there embracing life. And it so impressed people. There was a newspaper reporter who came to visit her and said, I don't get it. Here you're finally married, you're happy, you have such a career, and we all know you're going to die. 42? How have you kept such an amazing spirit? Let me read you what Gilda Radner said. In my life I have learned not every poem rhymes. Not every story has a clear beginning, middle, and ending. I hope that when people look at my life and look in my eyes, they will see a twinkle like I have seen the face of God because I really believe I have. When you have seen the face of God, it does something to your spirit, to your soul. So that rather than letting your spirit become bitter and angry, we're able to embrace life with all of its possibilities. Paul was in prison, and you read his letters. It was one of gratitude and one of love. And so secondly... It really is about having faith, having the faith that opens our eyes to the possibilities of God yet unseen. Now remember, when you and I talk about faith, we're not talking about dogma. We don't talk about doctrine. When we talk about faith, we're talking about trusting in God's love for us, His children. That's our definition of faith. And so it really is about understanding to trust in God, loving God's love, even when we don't understand and we're in that difficult moment, we have faith. Now, understand, I don't believe that God seeks to punish people by making bad things happen. No, I do believe in the randomness of this world. We are free. We are free. 
And people can choose to become drunk and drive and crash and kill other people. I don't think that's God's will. People can choose to be mean and hurtful. That is not God's will. No, people are free. Bad things happen. And I also believe that, you know, we're not immortal. We are in the kingdom of heaven, but not here on this earth. We are all mortal creatures. We're all going to die. Everybody you love is going to die. And so we will get sick. And things do happen. And they happen at different ages because we are not made to live on this earth forever. That's not God punishing us. That's what it means to be human. And so, yes, things do happen. But what I believe is in all those times when it gets hard or when it's unfair, I believe that's when God comes to give us strength and peace to be able to deal with it. To see possibilities that have been yet unseen. You know, I was telling you about how we did open the campus last week up in Edmond. And it was such an exciting day. And to see the love that the people have for one another, to see this incredibly beautiful facility. Well, but on Tuesday, we took the staff up there to have staff meeting. We have staff every Tuesday. We have it at lunch. We get together. We kind of review just what's been going on and we celebrate. And so we thought it'd be fun to go up to Edmond and go celebrate as a staff. And so we got up there and we we're all kind of reminiscing. Did you see so-and-so? Do you remember this? And then, did you know what happened behind the scenes? And who, you know, always those challenges, what nobody else you hope sees. And so we talked about all these things. And while I was leading the staff meeting, just something suddenly hit me. I said, you know, it just occurred to me, four years ago, this was not an, even an idea. Four years ago, we had not even thought of this possibility. I know we hadn't because yesterday was the fourth anniversary of my wife, Marcia, being diagnosed with breast cancer. And April the 30th will be the four-year anniversary of her surgery and becoming cancer-free. And we have believed that she is still cancer-free and every reason to think that. And so she went into her period of recovery. We had planned a trip out of the country, and the doctor made us cancel that. And so I've told you before, that's when we made the decision to go up to Kansas City, really just to get away for the weekend, to kind of take time to think about what all had happened, to kind of reorient ourselves. And, of course, when Sunday came, we wanted to go to church. And why in the world didn't we decide to go to church out at Church of the Resurrection on a satellite campus? because I always thought that was the craziest thing. And so we went, and I came out that day going, this is a possibility. I know when the idea began. I came back and shared with other staff and, and said, what do you all think? And boy, they began looking at it and thinking. And then they talked to lay people, and we just started having this snowball effect. And two and a half years ago, we finally met at a school, and then two and a half years later, we opened in Edmond last Sunday. Four years ago, it suddenly hit me. This wasn't even an idea. And then I had another thought. The next thought was, what have we not thought about yet of what's going to happen four years from now? What idea have we not seen? 
What have we not thought about that is going to change our world four years from now? In a personal life, I started thinking, what idea, what dream have I not even thought about yet that God is giving that I haven't seen yet that in one year or two years or five years will be a game-changing moment in my life? The possibilities are there. If we give in to bitterness and to anger, it's hard to see them. It's when we live in faith, when we are trusting in God's constant love for us as children, that there are possibilities and ideas that we have yet to see that we begin to be aware of that become game-changing moments in our lives. And so third, I believe it is out of our hurt and our pain, especially when life has been unfair, that we are able to see how God wants to use us to be game changers, to bless life. It's when we've had those problems, when you have your hurt, it's usually out of your greatest pain, your greatest disappointment, that you can see opportunities to bless life. God opens your eyes and will help you see how to be a game changer. You know, I'll be home this afternoon watching some football. I was up watching football last night. But I got to be honest, I get up at 4.15 on Sunday morning. And so we got about to the end of the third quarter and I said, good luck, God bless. I'll check it in the morning on both of our teams. And uh, I was pleased to see how well the day ended for Oklahoma. Our teams did very, very well. So, uh, but as I've been watching some of the football, I got to thinking about Heinz Ward. I saw something that made me think of his story. What an amazing guy. Heinz Ward played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you may remember about 10 years ago, the Pittsburgh Steelers won the Super Bowl and Heinz Ward was MVP. He did extremely well. And what made that significant was Heinz Ward has a Korean background. And he was the first Korean to really ever um, win an MVP or to win a Super Bowl. And in Korea, boy, they love American football. And so for him to win the MVP and the Super Bowl, he was a big deal in South Korea. But you need to understand his life story. His mother was Kim Young-hee. And it turned out that his father, Heinz Ward Sr., was an African-American GI stationed in South Korea. They got married, fell in love, and they wound up having Heinz Ward Jr. But in that day in Korea, there was a tremendous prejudice against mixed-race children. It's been a real issue for South Korea. It prides itself on being a pure race. In fact, up until 10 years ago, you could not serve in the military unless you were pure-blooded Korean. The problem they had developing was you had all these young men now wanting to leave the countryside, come into the city to get better jobs, and there were not enough wives. And so they started marrying women from Vietnam and from China and then having children. And Korea really struggled with all these mixed-race children. It's a real issue. What certainly was for Heinz Ward in his life, 
when he was now starting to grow up, there was such prejudice against it, they left Korea and they moved back to the United States and they settled in Atlanta. His father, Heinz Ward, soon decided he didn't want to be married, left his wife, they got divorced, and she was now on her own with a small baby. She didn't speak English. Kim went to work. She started doing three different jobs to keep a roof over their head and food on their table. Hines grew up old enough to go to school, and when he went to school, well, children teased him about the slant of his eyes, the color of his skin. He despised his Korean heritage. He came home and complained to his mother, and his mother basically said, Suck it up. Work hard. Be your best. She was being her best in a foreign world. Three jobs. Keep a roof over their head. He did. Got to high school, discovered that he was a great athlete, started playing football, attracted the attention of the University of Georgia, got a scholarship, went to the University of Georgia, attracted the NFL attention and got drafted and went to go play for the Steelers. You wind up being on a Super Bowl team, an MVP. And now back home in Korea, you're a star. You're a star. And Heinz Ward, out of his pain, out of the pain he'd experienced growing up there in Atlanta, knowing what his parents had faced, he saw the opportunity to bless life. He seized the moment and said, Mom, we're going home to South Korea. His mom had not been home since she had left so many years ago with a baby. She had been disowned by her family. No, they were going home. And when he came back home and everybody knew they were coming, the country was just ecstatic. Everybody wanted to be near Heinz Ward. It took more security for him than it did for the president of Korea, who wanted to see him as well. And they did. They met And that's where he is able to talk about issues of mixed-race children. And from all of that, legislation was introduced and has been passed to guarantee rights to mixed-race children. That mattered to him. He went all around the country going to schools and talking to schools and to all the children trying to say to them, Do you understand? You are like me. You are special. You can be anything you dream Do not quit, work hard. He went all around and raising that subject so that it became one of these subjects being talked about throughout Korea. And then he started a foundation to try to help with issues that many of these children who were in poverty were dealing with. And of course, he named it after his mother. He wanted her to be the conquering hero coming home. Everybody wanted to be near her and Heinz Ward. He may have won a Super Bowl and may have won an MVP, but it was out of his pain that he saw an opportunity to bless life, and he became a game changer. He did what mattered. For Paul, he wanted to go to Spain never happened. He wound up in a prison cell in Rome and he took the time to think about all the people he loved, the churches he loved, and he began to write them letters. 
And because he did not grow bitter and angry, but saw the opportunity to reach out and to love, he wrote the letters that make up our New Testament. Letters that you and I read 2,000 years after they were written. 2,000 years ago they were written and yet they inspire and guide us in our spirit of faith today because of how he did it. Paul was a game changer. And we can be too. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.